I'm so glad you guys are here. It's going to be a fun morning. And so um, over uh, the fall, in this coming season, like I said, that we're a core team, we're going to... Uh, gather together in city groups. We're going to join. We're going to eat together. We're going to pray together that Jesus make this uh, church that we can invite our city and our community into. Uh, there's so many things we're just going to do. We're going to prepare our building. So we've already painted. We're doing some stuff here. It's very exciting. And so in this season, basically, we're building the foundation for our church. So we don't just want to say, we've got a lot of excitement and there's a lot of people here and let's just go. We want to say, no, we want to slow down and we want to make sure that we understand the same values, the same uh, Bible, that we're understanding that Jesus is the only way of salvation. So all that stuff, this is what the core team season is for. So hop in, journey with us, and get excited to see what Jesus is going to do through this little church plant. So uh, open your Bibles to Galatians 6. Uh, Anna read it for us. That's what will be this morning. Um, and so I'm going to give you, while you open it, I'm going to give you a quick overview of what we've been doing. We have, guess, four core values, down, up, in, and out. And those are shorthand for gospel, formation, community, and mission. And some of you guys are like, Austin, bro, I've heard this too many times. Like, you don't need to say that anymore. But that's a good sign because it means that we're concreting these truths into our minds and into our hearts. And so we're going to be going through them. And so uh, we've been going through the book of Galatians. Um, and Paul wrote this book, uh, and he was a persecutor of the church. He killed Christians, and then God saved him and made one of him one of the most influential Christians ever to have existed, right? A man that was once killing uh, Christians. And so this book, it's written, the book of Galatians, is written to show that there's only one gospel and one way of salvation, and that's Jesus, right? So a couple weeks ago, I got to share Galatians 2, 15 through 21, and show that only Jesus can save broken sinners. So it's not getting better, it's not trying harder, it's not coming to church a lot and getting plugged into city group, it's just faith alone in Christ alone, And then last week, Pastor Mo um, did an awesome job explaining to us in Galatians 5 that there's a real struggle that Christians face in trying to walk by and live by the Spirit, right? So um, he reminded us that Jesus doesn't just make you better. That's not his interest. His interest is to make you new, right? So you don't just receive salvation. You receive his Spirit, and his Spirit guides us and transforms us. And so that was up, which is us forming into our community. It's us becoming more like Jesus. And so Galatians 6 this morning shows how the gospel, how those truths come together and shape our community, our church, and of course, our relationships. And so I don't know if you guys grew up going to Christian camps, but I didn't, right? So I'm kind of a newbie, and I was 19 years old, and I got invited to go to a crew fall getaway. And so I'm pretty excited, but I drive up from McCook, Nebraska, all the way up there, and it's a Timberlake Ranch camp, camp. And so I get there, and I just anticipated, like, they're going to have, like, Nice beds and sheets and pillows and, of course, a heater, right, because it's fall. Mm -mm. They didn't have any of that. I'm like, okay, this is not what I anticipated. But so I get there. I sign up for a cabin, and I didn't know, like, I'm just, like, kind of a shy guy. I'm 19 years old. I'm going through. And uh, and so I get um, to the room, and I, I realize that they didn't have any of that. They just had, like, a little tiny mattress. So for those of you who know me well, you know I've got a ton of junk in my trunk. Wait, no, don't take that wrong, okay? No, I mean, I have a lot of things in the trunk of my car, okay? Like, I don't know what you guys were thinking, but uh, anyways, so um, 
So, so, so I get in there and I, I make my bed, which is actually just unraveling like my little sleeping bag. And so I'm excited, but I'm, I don't have anything else. And so this guy that I just met tosses me a pillow. I'm like, bro, thank you. And so I put my pillow down and I'm pretty excited um, because I don't know about you guys, but I'm not trying to get my worship on with a kinked up neck, right? Like that just doesn't help anything. And so I'm like, dude, thank you. I was hoping that I wanted, you know, to get excited this weekend. And so um, anyways, but he just goes on like it's nothing. I'm like, do you, like, do you normally bring a couple pillows to things like these? Like, I'm a newbie. I don't know. He's like, no, man, I, I'll just use my duffel bag. And, and it was such a big moment for me because I was like, w- w- you mean you sacrificed your pillow to sleep on? Like, you sacrificed a good night's sleep just to give me your pillow? He didn't know me. He didn't know anything about me. He just gave me his pillow without even me asking. And, uh, and it might seem little to you guys, but I promise you, man, this has impacted me profoundly. Even until today, it's as simple as a, as a pillow because I didn't earn it, right? Like, I didn't do anything. Um, I didn't know him. I didn't grow up. I didn't even ask for it. And it was my fault that I didn't bring my pillow. And so, but this guy helped bear my burden by burdening himself and, and sacrificing a good night's sleep in his, in his pillow. And so, um, anyways, it was one of the most simple and beautiful ways that I've seen Jesus' love. And it was profound when I was 19 years old. And so some of you uh, this morning might think that Christianity is just a set of rules and morals to live by, but it's so much more than that. Some of you may think that Christianity is just about knowing a ton about your Bible, but I promise you it's so much more than that. Some of you may think that you've got nothing to offer in this family, but I promise you God wants to use you. He has a great gift and responsibility in you. And some of you in the room may think that the church is just a place to affiliate with, but it's actually a family to belong to. Now, like I said last week, Mo talked about the fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians 5, uh, 22 through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so he told us that Jesus not only gives you salvation, but he gives, him, uh, gives us your spirit, his Spirit as well. And so I want to show you that the fruit of the Spirit cannot be shown when you're alone. Okay, so you can be really patient, right, when you're by yourself, but you get around a two-year-old, it's like screaming and crying, like always got a dirty diaper and see how patient you are. And you can be really, really kind when you're around people that like you love and agree with, but get around people you disagree with and people you don't like and see how kind you are there, right? So to manifest, to show God's fruit of his spirit in us, we can't do that when we're by ourselves. He He means for us to be in community. And so in our text this morning, Galatians 6, 1 through 5, Paul is showing us that to live by the Spirit is to live in community. And so I don't want you to take my word for it, so let's look together at verses 1 through 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Right, so Paul is saying in verse 1, if anyone is caught in any transgression, okay? Now, it's not like a, it's not like a, aha, like boom, I've got you, like hey, I caught you in sin. What he's saying is, if you see a brother that's entangled or ensnared in sin, if if any of you are in trouble, if if sin is becoming to, beginning to overwhelm you, right, this is not the idea of busting somebody, like you're, you're a spiritual cop or detective. Uh, This is the idea of seeing a brother or sister drowning. And he leaves any transgression really vague, right? He doesn't say, like, the big compartmentalized sins like murder and adultery. He just leaves it 
as any transgression. So it could be big, it could be small, it could be unseen, it could be seen, but nonetheless, any transgression. Now, Mo and I, and as we'll talk, the Bible talks about this word sin and this word transgression. And so to quickly define both of those, they're basically synonymous. So they're kind of the same thing. And to transgress or a transgression means that you've missed the mark. Okay, so God has a perfect holy standard for us to follow and we failed. We've actually failed badly at it. So we not only have done bad things that we weren't supposed to, we haven't done good things that we should have. Okay, so that's transgression, that's sin when we're talking about it and we've all fallen into it. We've all transgressed. But notice that he's talking about Christians. Okay, so he's talking about people that already trust in Jesus. So I hope this isn't a secret to you, but Christians sin like Christians sin a lot. And actually, on this side of our lives right now, before we die and we go to heaven, we're going to struggle with sin for the rest of our lives. We might um, refine and push away and put off some of those old sins, but we'll always have that tendency to live by our flesh, like Mo explained. But that's the struggle that's willing, uh, that you're willing to fight as a Christian. So Christians aren't perfect. We sin absolutely, but God is gracious to forgive us. And so in this, Paul isn't talking about finding brothers or sisters that are are, are in sin that, that don't know Jesus. And he's talking about brothers and sisters that are actually in the family of God that are falling into sin. And then Paul continues in verse one and says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Okay, so the end goal is to restore, right? That's what he's getting to. Um, but Paul addresses you who are spiritual. Some of you in the room go, yeah, yeah, that's, that's me. Like, I'm spiritual, man. I, I, I got it. And then some of you guys are like, mm-mm. I don't even want to make eye contact with them because I don't want to get picked on. No, right? Like there's that tendency, right? And so to be spiritual simply means to live and walk according to God's spirit. Okay, so if you've placed your faith in Jesus, like we've said again and again, you not only received salvation, you received his spirit. Okay, so you're led by his spirit. um, And then his spirit guides us, leads us, and transforms us. And so Our culture, and even especially in our churches, we're guilty of this, we often equate more time and more experience and more information with maturity, right? So what happens if we believe that and if we walk according to that is to say that um, that, that, that the job of restoring people is for the varsity Christians, Right, and so hey, JV team, uh, thanks for being here, bro. But just kind of check, just kind of check out, just keep watching us and learn from us. And freshman team, I don't even know what you're doing here. Like, take a step back and kind of play. I don't even know, but wait your turn. But that's not what Paul is saying here at all, is he? He says, "You who are spiritual," which means the people that are led by God's Spirit, who have God's Spirit, the people who've trusted in Jesus. That's the people he's addressing. And so it doesn't mean that you're batting a thousand. It doesn't mean that you don't fail or that you've got it all figured out. No, it means that you fail as well, but that you're led by his spirit. And so there's a girl in our church. She's in college. She's been walking with Jesus for only one year. And she is absolutely mature enough to confront someone on their sin. Okay, so being spiritual doesn't mean you've been walking with the Lord for 10 years. No, spiritual people are ordinary people relying on an extraordinary spirit to produce in them the fruit of the spirit. Does that make sense? Ordinary people led by an extraordinary God. That's the spiritual people. It's not the legends. It's not the great. It's just just normal people. And so that's good news for me. And I don't know if it's good news for you, but it's good news to know that I'm included in those who are spiritual. Now, the word restore, it's a Greek word, and it means to put in order or or to bring to its former condition. But many people uh, back 2,000 years ago would actually use it um, 
to explain um, setting a bone back in place. Now, I don't know if you've ever had one of your bones, play. I broke my collarbone, if you've had your bone like placed back, but it hurts, okay? So to put a bone back in place will inevitably inflict pain, but it's a healing pain, right? So it means that, we're, that we are to confront even when it will be painful and awkward, like it's worth it, it's gonna hurt, like it, that we just know that to, to put a bone back in place, it's gonna hurt, but it's worth it. And so the ultimate goal here in, the, in this passage is for restoration. So, so why do we engage our brothers and sisters that are caught in sin? Why do we engage those who are being overcome in sin? It's in order to restore them. And so we work not as detectives, but as friends in a family, right? And these conversations, they're not emotionless. Like, like you risk, to confront somebody, you really risk awkward and a bad response. Like, you risk tension in your relationship. But listen, here's the gospel. It's worth it because Jesus considered you worthy enough to confront you in your sin so that you might experience his grace. So we have to, there's no option. We have to see our brothers and sisters worthy enough to confront them in their sin so that they might experience Jesus' grace. Jesus did it for us, so we too should go see our brothers and sisters. Our family in this room is worthy enough to confront on sin. But it's hard. Like, no doubt, it is tough. And so Paul says, in the midst of, he's getting to it, well, how do we do it, right? He says to restore in gentleness. But gentleness, it's a relative term, right? Because like, I, I can be really soft with somebody, and they feel like I just punched them in the face. I'm like, what do you mean, bro? I like, was trying to be super gentle, and I can be really, really, really gentle. And, or no, I'm sorry. I can be really abrasive and really stern and really clear, and they feel like I didn't even say anything to them. And so I think the key to gentleness is actually, or how we should approach each other in sin, is the following words in verse 1. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so how do you define gently? Well, it's by watching your own heart and how your heart is tempted. And so, yes, absolutely, you should engage in people, but not before you've checked your own heart. Okay? Does that make sense? Like, you, we, before we go and talk to somebody else about their sin, we've got to check our own sin in our own heart. Because there's a natural tension in every single one of us to think we're just a little bit better than other people. To think, man, glad I don't struggle with that, or that person is so deep in sin, I'm thankful I'm not. And if you think, if you think you're better than that person, you'll find far too much delight in being the helper rather than being in the same ditch. So a person unchanged by the gospel will not be interested in restoring. All they want to do is expose other people's sin so that they feel better about themselves. Does that make sense? Like, that's the difference in that. It's like, no, it, we're not trying to be the helper. Like, hey, come on, man. It, it's like, and you're down there. It's to say, no, let's, we're in the same ditch together. Let's, let's get out of this together. Let's do this together. But if you can search your heart, if you can truly search in your heart and not give in to the temptation to be, feel greater than, if the Holy Spirit would do his work in your life to show you that all of your successes are only owing to the grace of God, if then and only then, you can actually genuinely and gently reach out your hand to your brother and sister and say, come on, let's get out of here. Our job biblically is to get into our hearts, into the dark parts of our hearts, and see what's motivating that. And so a couple questions to think about when you're, when you're thinking about confronting someone. Do you primarily want to be right? 
Do you want to be seen as holy? Do you want to be seen as good and proper and superior? Uh, Or do you have a genuine concern for the soul of and the heart of your brother or sister? So before we go to verse 2, I just want to ask, uh, do you invite people into your life to confront you on your sin? Like, are, are you kind of an open book to say, hey, I would love for you to come into my life and speak into it. I have uh, three friends that call me or text me nearly every single week. They ask me, hey, man, how's your joy? You've been looking at things you shouldn't. How are your thoughts? How have you gone out of your way to, to love your wife this week and to show her that she's valuable? They ask me that, and I'll ask them the same questions. And, and they have full permission to speak into my life. They have full permission to say things that I don't want to hear but I need to hear. And so I just want to ask you guys, man, in your life, if you care about your spiritual health, you're going to care about having people around you that are going to confront you. And now there's a tension in all of us to just be around the people that are going to be like, oh, good job. Like, that's great. Just keep doing that. Because we want to sink back into our cowardice. But, but don't build a coalition of people that just agree with you. Build a people around you that are actually going to love you enough to call you out in your sin. And then Paul goes on in verse 2 to say, bear one, bear one another, bear one another, one another's, another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But the law of Christ is weird language, right? Like, that sounds really weird because Jesus, like, perfectly fulfilled the law. So how is there now a law of Christ? Because I thought he kind of finished it and did it. But, but John 13, verses 34 and 35, give us amazing insight to the law of Christ. So let's read um, that. Where are we? Jesus says in John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. To love one another as I have loved you. And so we see that what Paul is showing us is that to bear one another's burdens is actually the ultimate um, imitation of Jesus' love. Because he's the ultimate burden bearer, right? So he's saying, if you want to be like Jesus, you should bear other people's burdens. And so Jesus did that for us, right? Like He bore the burden for us that we never could bear. And so in this verse, he's showing us that the law of Christ is actually to love like Christ. Now, from this, not only are we set free to give critique and to receive critique when we find each other falling into sin, but then on top of that, we're willing to engage each other. Uh, I'm sorry, then we're willing to bear one another's burdens. We're able to say, I'll help you with that. Like, let's carry this together. Let's walk through this together. That's what the gospel does, is it frees us to, to confront each other and to carry, uh, carry each other's burdens. And this idea of carrying each other's burdens, it's profound because some burdens only take like a couple days to walk through. And maybe even a single meeting, but other burdens take forever. Like they just go on and on and on and on and on and on. Like it just doesn't stop. And that's, that's what we have to wrestle with. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus bore our burdens so that we could bear the burdens of other people. So, so let me show you how this played out in my life. I met a girl named Tylisa um, about a year ago, and uh, she's 20 years old. She's full of potential, joy. Uh, uh, she's just a beautiful young lady, and I found out that she's got a medical condition, a couple medical conditions that hold her back from certain job opportunities. And so uh, she accepts Jesus kind of through our, our ministry, and, and um, 
And I realized that her family life, her home life, just isn't good at all. Like, it's not healthy or helpful towards her walk with Christ, but she can't move out because that's all she can afford, and, then she, and she doesn't have a car. And so my city group, we get together and we say, man, we, this is a burden, young lady, and she needs our help. And so we pray together. We say, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to buy her a car. And so we put all our money together, and we buy her a car. And not only that, but we set her car insurance up for her and pay for the first few months of insurance. And then we find four other Christian girls that live in Omaha, and, and we, um, we, we set up, she's got a room there, and we paid for the first few months of rent. And I'll never forget the joy and surprise on her face as she saw her car. Like, that's hers. Like, there's no strings attached. There's no payment. It's just hers. And she felt so loved. I mean, she just broke into tears. And she said, I just can't believe this. I never felt so loved in my life. And we just got to show her, man, this is Jesus' love. This is from him. It's not from us. And so that night, we, we had her over at our apartment, and we prayed over her, and we just reminded her, Ty, you're so beautiful, and you're so valued, and you're so precious in the sight of God, and you cannot forget this. And every gift that you get, it's just from the Father of light. It's just from the Father, like God. He gave this to you. And that's just a glimpse of what it looks like to bear one another's burdens, right? Just a small glimpse. And we had our own karmic car payment to pay. Unfortunately, we had our own car insurance to pay. We had our own rent to pay, but we saw her burden. We saw her need, and we said, how can we look away? How can we not go? If Jesus has done that for us, how can we not go? And and I want to show you, like, this is what Jesus did for us. He not only, he doesn't just give us a car and a couple months of rent. He gave his very life for us. What a gift, like what a savior to say, I'm not just going to give you a couple material things. I'm going to give you my own life. And I'm praying through family. How do we live this out? Like how do we, how do we love like Jesus loved? If you want to love like Jesus loved, I promise you, it's not by just giving like a little bit to somebody. Or it's not by saying, hey, I got you. I'm going to pray for you. See you later. He gave his life for us. And so how do we in turn love like Jesus in John 13? Love one another as I have loved you. Well, he gave his life for us, so we should give our life for others. It doesn't mean that we're dying for people necessarily. But, I mean, you don't, I mean, anything with that, like, would you sacrifice your comfortability? Would you sacrifice your savings account? Would you sacrifice your Roth IRA? I don't know what it is, but would you love like Jesus loved? And so here's the reality. Ty and I talk, we try to talk about every two weeks. And she's not perfect. She's still struggling through some things. But I've seen her flourish and grow in Christ. And it's been one of the most amazing gifts. And so I want to show you that bearing burdens, it doesn't just mean material things, but it oftentimes means spiritual burdens as well. And those burdens, they might take years to bear with another person. But I promise you, though it may be hard, it's completely worth it. Now, from this, we see this idea of bearing each other's burdens. Like, we see that the church isn't an organization or a charitable organization. It's a family of brothers and sisters who are knit together by the love of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. So, so where is Jesus calling you to bear burdens that aren't your own? Let's look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So there's a myth of self-sufficiency that we all fall into. Paul talks about this right after he talks about bearing one another's burdens. And so this is actually a rebuke to people um, who are trying to be self-sufficient, who are trying to do life on their own. People that are saying, I've got it all together. Like, you don't need to help. Like, I, 
I'm good, I'm good. But we all have burdens, right? We've all got stuff that we're bearing right now, and God doesn't intend for us to carry those burdens by ourselves. And so self-sufficiency, if we want to go that route, it leads to two primary failures in relationships. The first one is the refusal to bear the burdens of others because it would be a task far too small or menial for someone that thinks he is something. Okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm, gonna get, I'm not going to get my hands dirty with that. I got my own stuff. And, and number two, the other is a refusal to allow other people to bear your burdens because to admit you have burdens is to admit that you're weak and you need help. But you can't admit you're weak if you think that you're good and you've got it all together, right? So those are the two failures. And don't be fooled. We all have burdens that are too heavy to carry by ourselves. And do not let your pride get in the way of admitting that you need help. And so no one will know the burdens you're carrying unless you say something, right? Like, we're really good at smiling and saying, everything's good. Oh, welcome to church. Man, we're excited you're here. Like, that's our tension. But no one's going to know that you're going through something unless you say something. But City Light, man, how amazing would it be to be a part of a family that love each other so much that we don't shy away when we see each other sin, but we press in and with empathy and love, we say, man, I want to talk to you about this. I want to battle this together. Like, can we be that family? Like, I want to be that family. And if you're not interested in being that family, man, I don't know exactly what you see biblically that, that guides a family outside of that. Like, that's what the Bible would call us to be. And so City Light, I want us to be that family. We're not afraid to admit our weaknesses because we know those weaknesses and those burdens will be met with empathy and love and grace. So let's be that family. And in this core team season, I want us to work through these things because none of us are batting a thousand of this. This is a really hard thing to do, right? So I want to talk to three people in the room as we walk through this. Uh, The first is for the person uh, that's too afraid to confront other people's sins, right? I think a lot of us fall into this category. But would you find courage in Christ? You might be held back by fear uh, of people or, or people pleasing. And I know it's awkward and it can be tense. But listen, if you see sin and you don't confront it because you don't, you don't want to sacrifice or, or give tension to that relationship, you want to be liked, well, you're actually saying that you value your own status more than you do their spiritual health. Your sin, it doesn't disqualify you from calling out other people's sin. No, it actually gives you empathy as you say, let's work through this together, right? So if you're struggling through something, you say, I can't call that out because, uh, because I'm struggling with the same thing. That doesn't mean you don't say anything. It's to say, hey, man, let's, let's work through this together. Like, I see you struggling. I'm struggling too. Let's, let's walk through this. And so, number two, for the person who's too prideful to admit their own burdens, I pray that you would see how much Jesus has forgiven you of. And I pray that you would remember that you're a basket case of sin if it weren't for the grace of God. So listen, if you don't want to admit that you need help carrying your burdens, what you're doing is actually robbing someone in this family of helping you. Don't think that you're helping the church by not admitting your burdens. That's a lie. The church is a place, the church should be the place to admit that we're broken. Like, it's not a museum for the saints, it's a hospital for the broken. And so, if you say, man, I don't want to burden anybody, I don't want to do, no, you're actually saying, I don't want to have the church assist me in my problems, and I'm robbing somebody of actually having a story. If Ty never told me that, I'd never have that story to share. 
So I don't care if it's a, if it's a burden of a porn addiction or cheating on your taxes. God doesn't want you to do it alone. Number three, for the person who's caught up in their own burdens, who's too caught up in their own burdens, would you look outside of yourself and see that Jesus is calling you and a gracious gift to bear the burdens of other people. And I know we can often be so blinded to other people's problems because we're so caught up with our own, but I promise you, man, if you would look outside of of yourself and see that there are struggles that everybody is going through, the same struggle you might be going through, they might be going through too, you'd be amazed to see as you bear other people's burdens, your burdens seem to get lighter. It's a weird paradoxical thing. You're like, like, I've got to figure this out. And God's like, no, 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 help, help this person. You help this person. It's like, this is kind of goes away. And so I just pray that you'd see that Jesus is empowering you, and he wants to use you in this family. And so City Light, man, I pray that we're people that are led by God's spirit to care enough for one another that we lovingly and gently call out sin, that we check our own hearts and are honest about our own sin, and that we're honest about our own burdens. And so let's look at verses 4 and 5 as we continue to move. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. Now, this seems kind of contradictory, right? Like, it's like, like whoa, I, I thought that we were, like, supposed to, supposed to carry other people's burdens, and then, but now you're saying we got our own burden to, to, to bear? Like, I, I don't understand that, but see, there's a tendency in all of us, a massive tendency, um, to test ourselves by looking at other people. To say, good thing I'm not as crazy as that guy. Like, that girl goes out and drinks way more than I do. Glad I'm not them. But Paul's saying, no, test your own work. Examine yourself, not by comparing if you're better or worse than someone else. Examine yourself by the word of God. So God will not hold you accountable um, to the gifts he gave to someone else. And so um, here's what happens. If you're a believer... And you are surrounded by people that are spiritual giants. Like, they're just legends, right? They've got a ton of the Bible memorized. They started their own city group. They've got scripture all over the house. They've shared Jesus with everyone in the neighborhood. And you fall into that group, and you're, like, kind of timid, and you don't know much about your Bible. And you start to compare God's love. If, if In that aspect, you start to compare God's love by your performance or by their performance. How crushed are you going to be? You got, I know you could love them. I know you could delight in them. But me, like, I'm just, I'm tim- I don't know much about my Bible. Like, you probably don't care much for me, but you for sure care about them. Or what about the opposite? What if you fall into a group um, that are just a bunch of new, like a bunch of crazy people, right? And you're like, and, and they are just immature and they're walking in that. And you're thinking, I'm pretty good. Like, I'm pretty. I guess I know a decent amount about my Bible because they don't know anything, you know? Like, that's, that's, so we can't fall into that thinking because it's to say that God would judge you specifically off someone else, and that's not his intention at all. And so don't pat yourself on the back because you're better or worse than another person. And don't count yourself out because you're not good as someone else, okay? Let each one test his own work. See, and then in verse 4, um, Paul says, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So is he saying that we can boast in ourselves? No. A couple verses later, actually 10 verses later in Galatians six fourteen, Paul says, far be it for me to boast in anything except the cross of Christ. So what he's saying is that at the end of your life, 
you will be held accountable for the way you've stewarded what God has given you. I'm not talking about whether, if you trust in Jesus, that there's no judgment. It's just Jesus is sufficient for you, but God will also take into account what you've done with your life, how you've utilized your life. And so as much as I love my wife, and as close as I am to my wife, when I stand before a holy God at the end of my life, she won't be right next to me. Even if we would die in an instantaneous moment, like I have to stand alone before a holy God to give an account for my life, not Kristen and I. And so that leads us to verse 5. For each will have to bear his own load. Now wait. Like I said, it seems contradictory. I thought we were supposed to bear one another's burdens, and now we're supposed to carry our own. Well, how does that work? Well, luckily... I've got a Greek thing, and Matt, you can probably give a test to this, but there's actually different words. So for burdens, uh, the Greek are actually different words for that. So in 6.2, it's a word meaning a heavy burden, and, and it's one that can't be carried. And then in verse 5, it means a soldier's pack, so something that he would carry. And now uh, we should help each other bear one another's burdens, but there's also a burden that we have to carry on our own. Right? Like there's something that we have our own responsibility that no one else can bear for us. And so if my car breaks down, my neighbor can, can give my wife a ride to her work, but he can't ever assume the responsibilities I only have as a husband, right? Like that's the, the difference. And so let me give you an example. I have to actively seek out and try to find relationships with people who don't know Jesus. But I'm sure you don't have that struggle, right? Like, you walk into work and boom, like, there's non-Christians. You're like, oh, let me, like, let me just talk to you guys. But I don't have that, right? Like, I come into work, and I'm, like, interrupting people praying, like, hey, what's up, guys? Oh, yeah, are you praying? Oh, cool. Hey, you, you guys want to get Chipotle after this? Sure. Okay, cool. See ya. Like, that's, like, that's my life, right? Like, it's not easy to find non-believers. Everyone's, like, praying around me. I feel, like, not so spiritual. And so, anyways... Here's what, here's what would happen that would be completely awful. Do you know what I'd really love? I'd love to go to your work. I'd love to meet people that don't know Jesus on a daily basis. I'd love to just be submerged in that culture so that I could share Jesus. That would be uh, amazing. But you know what? I, that would be God belittling. That would be making God small because that's not the opportunity he gave me. Right? Like, he gave me other opportunities. That's my load to carry. And for you, the mistake would be, man, oh gosh, I just, oh, I could spend my whole day just studying my Bible and like reading and praying, going to Chipotle. Like, that sounds like an easy thing to do. Like, you get paid for that, Austin? You know? But, but if you walk in that line and think, man, that's what I want to do, like, that would also be God belittling because that's not the opportunity he gave you. And I say it's God belittling because to say you don't want to carry the load God has given you is actually to assume that he's not good. To say that I can't believe God stuck me with this load is is claiming that your plan would have been better. But that's not true because God is infinitely good and he knows exactly why he gave you the load he gave you. You're where you're supposed to be for a very specific reason. And so your load is that workplace. It's that neighbor, it's that hobby, it's that neighborhood that you live in, it's the world God's given you, it's the life God's given you, it's the talents God's given you, that's your load and you've got to carry it, I can't carry it for you, and you can't carry my load. At the end of our lives, when we stand in front of God to give an account for our lives, I'll give an account for mine alone, not yours. And so church... There are real burdens in this family that God is calling you to bear.
And there is a real family in this room that wants to come alongside you and bear your burdens. But there's one burden that none of us could carry. This burden was heavier than we could ever hold. And it's the burden of our sin and our, the weight of our transgression. And 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus bore that on his innocent shoulders. All of God's wrath, all of our punishment was poured on his shoulders to the point of death. And so the ultimate burden bearer bore our burdens to the point of death and then rose in victory to exclaim, you don't have to bear that burden anymore. It's mine. Give it to me. You're forgiven. You're free. You're loved. And so, friends, you know, hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. He's a good God, and he's bearing your burdens this morning. So let's pray together.